There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. No, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Cheers, Jesse Leach. Yes, my friend. Cheers to you. I think this is the first podcast we've ever done where we're both representing with the Stoke the Fire mugs. Usually it's one or the other, but here we are tag teaming. Yes, sir. <laughs> Jesse has a whole box of these at his house. If you want right. one, Dude. hit him up. I'm sure he wants to get rid of them to clear some space. <laughs> that, they're right at my feet here. Are they really? The whole box? It's like your footstool. <laughs> I'm not putting my feet on them, but if you want me to, if you'll pay for my feet. Extra. Yeah, extra. extra. <laughs> um, how you been? You been? So over here, I'm sure you've seen the news and it's hilarious, you know, the way the UK reacts to situations like this, but. Yeah. The minute we get the slightest bit of heat over here, the whole nation goes into panic mode. The news stations are like, be careful, stay hydrated. You know, it's like you think we'd never experienced a summer before. And it, it is hot, but it's, you know, I mean, it's nothing unusual. It's funny. Yeah, I did, a, I did some press last night for a song I've got coming out with another band and the guy who was the moderator was from the UK and he was wearing just a, a muscle shirt, just <laughs> sweaty. And in my mind, I'm like, you, you don't have AC in your place, dude. <laughs> it's just like, Oh mate, it's so hot. No homes have air conditioning over here. It's pretty much just a rule that that thing, you know, it's not even a thing over here. Um, there was a picture of a guy carrying a massive fan down the road to his house. You know, the UK is just, it's special around these, this time of year. So yeah, it's hot. Uh, but happy to be here, happy to see you as always, and really happy to uh, introduce today's guest to not just everybody watching and listening, but to you as well. You've never met each other, have you? No, I haven't, no. Amazing. Well, you're two of my favorite people, so I reckon without further ado, let's break some bread right now. Let's get this show going on. Welcome to the show, my brother, AJ Popoff from Lit. AJ, come on in, join us. Hey, oh, now I feel like a total degenerate. You guys are drinking coffee and here I am with my wine. <laughs> no way. And it's later. It's happy really. hour somewhere. <laughs> right so, there. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Jesse. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Nice to meet you too, brother. It's a pleasure for sure. Hell yeah. I've been so, enjoying your new album, I will say, right off the bat. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. I had right your on. song stuck in my head all damn morning. The, uh, the air, what, the airplane one? <laughs> oh, got kicked off the plane. Dude, nice. it's. It's a really good song, and it would not Thanks, dude. get out of my fucking head. But yeah, kudos, man. Great right on. Guy. Thank you very much. Well, listen, before we go anywhere, let's just start right there with that song. Um, for some background context, I had the great pleasure of touring with, with AJ and the rest of the guys in Lit in April, um, Bowling for Soup and the Dolly Rot were also on the bill. I was DJing between the bands. And it was so awesome yeah. watching you guys play every night because you got those nostalgic anthems that everybody knows and loves from their youth but then thrown into the mix you had all these amazing singles off the new record 
um, which is out now, tastes like gold, and kicked off the playing. You were playing every night. It is one of the catchiest things ever, not just by you guys, but in music. And, and your lovely and incredible guitar tech, Christian, um, turned to me one <laughs> as you were playing that song, and he goes, this song's about me, dude. <laughs> and I was, I was totally, yeah. So yeah. Why, didn't, why didn't you shed some light on the inspiration behind this tune? Kicked off yeah, the I mean, it's, it's kind of a long, drawn-out story, but I'll try and give you the, the cliff note version. I mean, they uh, American Airlines, it's, it's, it's an airline we've been flying forever, and, and it wasn't obviously after you know, the whole COVID thing. A lot of these airlines kind of started losing their ass and in the process started treating everybody else like ass that are on their flights. And, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we had, you know, had kept getting our flight canceled and the three of us live in Nashville. So a lot of times when we fly together, the other guys go off to LA and then the three of us head back here. Um, and so the had, three of you is you, your brother, Jeremy and Christian, Jeremy's and guitar tech. Yeah. Christian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's a, yeah, dude. And he's like the happy go lucky. I mean, you nailed it. He's, he's like, uh, you know, sounds like a, sounds like Jeff Spicoli from fast times. Um, but he's always, you know, he's almost always jolly and happy until someone, you know, pisses him off or bums him out too hard. And, uh, then he turns into like a 12 year old you know, <laughs> <He> snaps. <laughs> yeah. But it, but we were, he was being totally cool. We had a lot of time to kill, um, in Chicago had a, had a layover and then a canceled flight. So we're, uh, in the admiral's club, but we have to be members of that. So when this stuff happens, we can go drink for free and, you know, and kill some time. And so when they're having a few drinks and usually like when we, when we leave there, they'll let us pour our drink into a coffee cup and take it to go. But since the whole COVID thing happened there, these airlines are really gnarly about, you know, you can't bring any liquor on the flight and not that it was, I don't know if it was ever legal, but they usually didn't sweat you. And, um, so he's, he's in an exit row and he's got his, what looks like a cup of coffee. And I don't know how they ended up even feeling like they needed to ask him what was in his cup. But they, uh, we could see the flight attendant go over to him and, and uh, ask him what is in his cup. And he's like, oh, that's just the rest of my beer. Dude. And, <laughs> dude. <laughs> and she's like, well, you can't bring, you know, you can't bring alcohol on the plane. She's like, well, your, your guys is at uh, the Admiral's Club poured it in here for me. They said it was all good. And um, she's like, no, you can't. He's like, all right, well, here, take it. It's fine. And five minutes later, she comes back over to him and says, well, you've been drinking, so you can't sit in sex at row. You're not, you know of sound enough mind apparently to Wait. open the you know escape door and uh, he's like okay yeah all right dude <laughs> so she moves him to another row puts him in a middle seat between these two older ladies and he's just you know laughing and having a good time and meet you know talking to these ladies he wasn't pissed yet i bet and, they were uh, loving him as well i bet he was charming the pants off him yeah they were you could tell they were having a great time and um and then we're like man it sure is taking a long time to pull off this gate Sure enough, man, there's like three people come on the plane in different suits. They weren't like security, but they were like, you know, the higher up. Um, and they walk over to him and they didn't say anything to him. They just like, you know, come with us basically. And he goes, what's, what's going on? Like we want, he, at this point, we just want to get the hell out of there. Cause we'd been there way too, way too long. And um, so they ask him, you know, a few times and like, he's like, well, are you kicking me off the plane? I mean, like, you got to give me a reason. Sure enough, they just, they wouldn't give him a reason. He stands up. He's like, fuck you guys. Fuck this plane. Fuck American Airlines. And, and so my brother and I were sitting next to each other. We stand up. We're like, hey, are you guys kicking, kicking this guy off the plane? Like he's with us. And, and they wouldn't say anything to us. And we're like, this is ridiculous. And we all just started going like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And the, and the plane starts booing the airlines. And it was just because it was just so, so ridiculous. 
long, that was pretty long. That was pretty much a long story, but <laughs> so we get pulled off the plane. They drag us. They end up like, you know, kind of apologizing, take us back to Admiral's club um, where we sat for another few hours and drank. And then they, uh, <laughs> they give us, you know, they get, they upgrade them to first class and they like, what, you know, it's just the weirdest thing. It made no, it just made no sense. And uh, so we jobs worth, that. isn't it? Just people <laughs> who want to stamp their authority and power and unnecessary. It, it, that's exactly what I mean. It seems like they're cooling down a little bit now. It's getting a little bit better, but yeah, for a minute it was just like, man, you felt like you were, you know, in grade school, and the teacher was walking around and he's ready to get yelled at for something. And it just got, you know, uncomfortable and, and really lame for a while. But yeah, that song's pretty much, you know, the 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 steps of how that we got to that point that day, and it's it all happened at you know, Chicago O'Hare Airport. And um, yeah, man, it, it's all good. It was nothing crazy, you know, we weren't being assholes and nothing got violent and nothing got, you know, so it's a song about just ridiculous, you know, getting kicked off the plane for no good reason. Which is a great song. And uh, I love that art imitates life. And, you know, it's something you can sort of chuckle about now uh, or chuckle about at the time, I guess. Yeah. For some of you guys. We do. And Christian gets a big kick out of it. He loves telling people it's about him. (laughs) As I said, you were playing it and he just turned to me on the stage and was like, this song's about me, dude. He was so stoked. Well, thank you, American Airlines, for inspiring an amazing tune. We'll drink to that. Cheers. In our coffee cups. (laughs) I have to say, before we move on, just very quickly, um, thank you for being just such, you know, gracious touring buddies. And, and, you know, making me feel like really part of the family and Christian, who we just talked about there, he went above and beyond to fix me up with, with my DJ setup. Because if you remember the first night, there was all these pla- um, you know, problems with the stage setup and I didn't get to play and lit weren't the headline band. So it wasn't technically his responsibility to make sure that that was running, but he's very much, <clears throat> excuse me. He's very much one of those dudes from the little time that I've spent with him, who is all about the team and the bigger picture yeah. and he really went above and beyond to get me set up and made me feel so welcome and all of you guys did and we had some lovely days didn't we not just shows um totally. but we had fish and chips in scarborough jesse and i took them to my mate's yeah. pub here in bristol for a pub lunch here and we Great. got out and, and spent some quality time together you know on the days of the shows before the shows as well as the shows being awesome like the whole experience was was really cool man and lots of happy memories so it's good to uh yeah, it's great to Dude, see you again. Totally, man. It's in, and I'm like one of those guys on tour where I don't I don't sleep in like those other guys do. Like the bowling pursuit guys will literally like they're on some crazy schedule, which is kind of badass. They'll they'll like stay awake all night and then they sleep most of the day. They get up, order pizza. It's like it's just crazy. <laughs> Stagger like, out onto stage, like <laughs> totally. I try and be a little bit, you know, disciplined, even though if all you know, but those guys had a had a bar set up on stage. So every night, even though I thought I was gonna you know, have some control and not, not go big. Like I, I had ended up doing when these guys like, you know, drag us out last dude, I'm doing shots. And anyway, long story short, you, you'd hit me up in the morning. Like, Hey man, you want to go out for a walk? You want to go get some fish and chips? And I, at first I'd be a little bit, man, I think I should probably just chill. And you were always good about like making my ass get out of the bus and go and do something. And that was always a cool experience. So man, that got you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're very much the same on the road. Aren't you, Jesse? You want to get up and seize the day. 100 percent. yeah i used to be the guy that slept in and and you know was hung over all the time but i on show days i don't even drink anymore uh unless i have yeah. a glass of wine after maybe uh days off i have a little bit of fun but yeah i'm all about getting up early going sightseeing museums cool. architecture 
take it in if, if we're in the u.s i got my bicycle i get out and ride my bike yeah i had to switch it up because i was definitely yeah at that point in tour where it was affecting my performance i was partying too much so i had to scale I'm right it. there yeah i'm with you on that dude i, I definitely you know reeling it in big time i save i save going big for like you know when we have like a week off or if we have a day off i'll go a little bit bigger but hey i don't like i don't know man i like having a good time and i enjoy cocktails and i enjoy mainly wine obviously i'm a total yeah. wino but um yeah man it's not for me i like to celebrate when it's time to celebrate i got a job to do i want to make sure i kick ass every night and um and it came time where i just need to reel it in just deliver you know what i mean it's i think it's good for your brain and especially as you oh, get older, you, you want to be able to perform well and i i think since i've cut back on i've become a much better performer you know and i feel better so it all yep. kind of works out and i save money you know because i i like you like wine so We'll get stuff on the rider. I'm like, hey, it's okay. Um, but I like this bottle of wine. So I'm usually the guy like, or cocktails. I, I'm a total mm. snob. So I'll spend a lot of money. I'll go to dinner and like nice cocktail, nice wine, nice food. Yeah. Dude, Which I'm is, right there with you now. It, yeah. it is, I've noticed too, like the more, you know, you go to a more of a craft cocktail sort of place, like even more like speakeasy vibes and get something good to eat and a really good drink and pay way too much money for it. You're not going to just sit there and crush them. You know I mean? You're going to sell oh, them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like gentleman's style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there it is. We're, we're, we're aging like the fine wine we enjoy. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. So you're living in Nashville, right? You moved out from California yeah. to Nashville. Well, let's go yeah. further back first. Growing up, okay. I'd love to get into the kind of the childhood years growing up in California um, because you were there. I'm. What year were you born, AJ, if you don't mind me asking such a personal question? 73. 73 so you were a yeah. teenager in the 80s when the sunset strip scene was yeah. excuse the pun popping off so set the scene <laughs> and tell us about what it was like growing up and you got into music i gather pretty young you and jeremy yeah. were in bands from you know high school on right so what were those years like to live through dude i wouldn't change a thing man like literally my first show ever i was actually the drummer in the very beginning uh, my brother had his own he was in a different band and our bass player now, Kevin, he and I started a band um, uh, called Razzle. And it was like very Sunset Strip, you know, long hair, um, pretty, I guess you can sort of say like a kind of a sleazy, kind of a glam, punk rock glam kind of thing. And um, yeah, my first gig, I was 14 and we played the Troubadour. And I don't even, you know, really, I don't know. The main reason we were getting shows in LA is because we were, we were so young and we needed all ages venues to play at in Orange County where we, were, we grew up wasn't even, you know, there was no music scene. There were no places to play unless you were 21 or older and they were just shitty bars. And um, we wanted to be as close to like the bands on MTV we were seeing. We wanted to have that kind of stage thing going. And, um, and we saw like, you know, the end game. So we're like Hollywood's where you got to go to do that. And so just did one show as a drummer and we were having a hard time finding the singer. So I just, you know, I was like, I had a mic set up behind the drums and I'd sing back background vocals and stuff. And, um, and I just decided like, Hey, it's a lot easier to find a drummer. So let me just try I'll try and sing. And, and, uh, I remember at first just being scared shitless. Cause I was like, man, this is going to, this is a lot. I was like out of breath after two songs. Like, I'm, how am I going to get through a whole show? And I realized, you know, in those early years, adrenaline kind of did it for me, <laughs> but, um, you know, just going to Hollywood every weekend and we'd make you know, flyers, we all got, we signed up for a print shop class and that was our ROP program in, in high school. So we got out of school early and we went there for, you know, take, took the spot of like two credits and we made our own show flyers 
and we'd do like, we literally had like each had stacks, like, you know, a foot deep and we'd pass them out till they were all gone. Um, but back then, man, the sunset strip was packed full of people, you know, guns and roses was already like, they were already a thing, but you would see Axl Rose walk up and down the street, you know, in his cowboy boots and his hair all teased out. And, and you, you'd see a lot of those like rock stars out there that were just sort of just about to blow up huge. And I just remember looking up to those guys and thinking, dude, this is, we're next, you know, we got to get in line and we got to work hard. And we just started building our following out there and playing venues like the Roxy and the whiskey. And, um, back then it was Gazzari's on the strip and funny little story. Uh, Bill Gazzari, who's like, I don't know anybody that knows Gazzari's on the strip. Um, he was kind of like this mafia dude. He, Bill Gazzari, he wore this white, you know, fedora and he, you know, talked like this. And if they ain't gonna, you know, if they ain't good looking guys and, you know, going to be the next rock stars they don't get on my stage and he his his whole commercial like he put on this radio commercials and stuff but we were, we got to be part of that and he presented us with like a star like predicting our band to one day make it big whatever which i don't know how we did it back then like we were just we were a mess but it was you know we had a following we were selling out those clubs and it was cool dude it was a lot of firsts for us happened on that on that strip there literally like everything from my first blow job to like you know first time i got be blackout drunk all that stuff happened on that on the street it was just so crazy learned a lot that's amazing i i just keep thinking of that documentary uh uh decline of the western civilization the middle oh, dude yes one of my favorite documentaries but that time frame i mean you mentioned guns and roses i don't think anybody could touch the appetite era of guns and roses to this day i think the mixture of yeah. like sleaze anger punk rock and rock and roll yeah you can't touch that shit what a magical time to grow up in that's crazy man it was so yeah those were like i could call them our college years which would you know would have been like it's when we slowed down and focusing in in school you know like my probably my sophomore year or whatever and that was it you know i just wanted to as long as i got a passing grade and i got my diploma that's all i cared about aside from that the teachers would, you know i'd show up to school pretty much looking like i did on stage you know and, and i was such an outcast back then like Kids in high school just didn't look like that. And I was like, people just kind of looked at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> I just can't wait to get out of here and, you know, be on stage. You're one and of the cool, cool kids. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that wasn't, that's not how they saw it. But the teachers would be like, you know, what, what are you going to do if your band doesn't make it? You need like, you need a backup plan. And I said, there's no what ifs. I'm just going to make sure it happens. And I didn't know it was going to take 10 years to get our first record deal, but, yeah. you know, and then that was just the start of the real work. <laughs> Well, that's what's really interesting. Yeah, is you guys signed to RCA in 99, but you'd already been, you know, solid gigging for a decade. But so what, what did your parents do? Were they in the industry of, you know, of entertainment or music in any way? Did they encourage you and Jeremy to follow this path? Because if you're sticking it out for 10 years, you must have had the support of your family. Obviously, you had each other to spot each other. But, you know, so many people in 10 years would have chucked it in and gone home and, you know, gone back to school or trained to do something. But you didn't. So what, what kept you on course? It actually just was that tunnel vision. I mean, once we decided that's what we wanted to do, I think the passion was there. We were just so like in love with everything music. Um, that I guess started, our dad was a radio DJ. Oh, and, no way. Yeah. He was, you know, initially country music. He was at a country station. And then once we were old enough to really know, you know, what records were and songs, you know, and started paying attention, he was, that's when we moved to, um, Orange County. Our dad worked in LA at Kiss FM, which is a pop radio station. Um, 
And at the time, pop radio was everything from, you know, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie to like Def Leppard. And um, it was just all genres, basically the top 40 songs, you know, in, in the States. And that's what he was playing. And that was actually, he was playing vinyl records on the air. So he'd be queuing up, getting the record ready, you know, and, and then busting the vinyl. And then he would bring home records all the time. So our living room was literally like just vinyl across the whole living room and we and we had a record player so jeremy and i um and my brother's guitar player for people that don't know um he and i grew up just instead of mess playing with toys and having normal kids toys we had record players and you know cassette recorders and we try and act like our at the time it was like we would we would act like we were our dad so we'd play records and then we record ourselves like talking like we were the dj you know that was so and so da 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 but we would just constantly Inter, you know, interchanging all these different records and finding out what we really loved. And for me, I remember one of my first favorite records was, you know, Foreigner um, and that song Jukebox Hero. I just thought it was the coolest damn thing. So that was, you know, a lot of classic rock in our house, um, Doobie Brothers and, and uh, you know, all, all that stuff that, that are uh, Chicago and, and stuff that you wouldn't necessarily hear in lit music today, but it all, I think, has trickled in to our psyche, just being like, in our grandfather, I forgot to mention him, he was like, he was a uh, world post-World War II jazz drummer and singer. Um, so we were spending a lot of weekends with them. And so we got, you know, all the big jazz standards that were embedded in our minds and, um, you know, along with that pop music. And then once we discovered heavy metal on our own, it was all about the metal. And that was like, that was life-changing for us because we discovered Iron Maiden, you know, when we were like six and you know, I was like six, my brother was eight. And um, that was back with, you know, Paul Diano was the singer yes. and our, they came through town, played Long Beach Arena in LA. And we, we talked, you know, our dad was, our parents were always really cool, but we wanted to go see them play. They actually opened for UFO, which is crazy. When you think about how massive Iron Maiden is today, but um, so our dad took us, man. And we were just these eight and 10 year old kids and just blown away by their stage presence. Even then, you know, they didn't even have all the big pyro in the, in the stage show they have today. Um, but it was that moment that we realized, do we, we need to do that. So we were already huge music fans and, and just loved every genre of music, but we, we wanted to play it. So we used to, you know, we faked it for a long time with the, you know, put water on our hair and the broomstick, <laughs> you know, and they take pictures of us. We look like we're, we're in a band. <laughs> so it just, you know, that was, I think the early, you know, where, where it all came from. It's cool that you and Jeremy were both right there together, you know, and you had each other to kind of bounce off and feed off. It's funny as well. You're talking about Iron Maiden there. Jesse, why didn't you share with, uh, with AJ your Iron Maiden story in regards to your dad's thoughts on, on Maiden in the household? Je Jesse had a very different yeah. experience. Yeah, before I do that, I, I just have to say that um, I love the diversity and it, it actually makes sense to why you guys are such good songwriters because of the diversity that you had growing up. And I had very much the same thing. Um, and you mentioned Def Leppard. I would say Hysterias to, to this day is probably one of my favorite records of all time. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love Def Leppard. Uh, I just have to give them props. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's great to news, day, too. Yes. <laughs> want to talk about a great record? I mean, Mutt Lang had a lot to do with that, too. But my God, I still put that record on. I know every single word. And I used to Same. do I used to do the thing with the wet hair and the, I had a fake guitar. And I was totally that kid too. <laughs> I'm with you on Good that. Good time to grow up, man. That's awesome. So, yeah. So my father was a, um, still is, but he's retired now, uh, minister. So I grew up in a Christian, crazy strict Christian household. So Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, made it in through my brother, made it into the house uh, through my brother. My dad found it, 
smashed it in front of us. We got the hellfire and brimstone. Satan's music, not in my house. Flash, <laughs> flash forward to 2018. Uh, we get asked to open for Iron Maiden across Europe. Uh, I'm out to dinner with my folks and uh, basically said to them, you know, I know you guys always wanted to go to Europe. Um, I'm going to help you with your vacation. Um, I'm going on tour with Iron Maiden and the paycheck's going to be really well. So I'm going <laughs> to help you guys go on vacation. My mom's never been to Europe. She's teary eyed. Uh, and I reminded my dad, I was like, do you remember that moment when we were younger? No so I, went, I got on tour. Bruce, I told Bruce Dickinson the story. Bruce Dickinson's in our dressing room talking and he's chuckling. He's like, you know, basically tell your father that the, the album is pretty much just like a educational historical account of what the devil is. And of course, I took the story back to my dad, told my dad. And he's just like, you can't make this shit up. He's just like, wow, that's incredible. He laughed. But wow. yeah. Iron Maiden was a huge, played a huge role in opening my eyes to the devil's music. And I was like, I want more of that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is awesome story. Holy crap. And, and to get to tour with Maiden, we got to play oh, with them once real. at Download Festival. Yeah. You know, and that was, that's a different story. We never, never got to like hang out with Bruce and, and the guys. And they, what a, what a dream. Yeah. They just made themselves available without, we didn't seek them out. They would just, hey, Mike, and come on in and just shoot the shit. And we're all of us are just like, Oh, okay. And the entire wow. tour was like that. And their assistants, they all have personal assistants. I mean, their crew is like a hundred people. People started to know our names. Like it was one of the best tours we've ever done. Just that's the cool. simple vibe of like that camp. So yeah, Maiden, all hails, dude. One of the best to do it to this day. Yeah. Hey, Amen. I remember, yeah, I remember tripping out on that note when you mentioned they all had assistants, like uh download festival backstage, they had their own like area, like their own compound. Um there's all these massive bands, you know, so all the dressing rooms and it's a big, it's such a cool backstage area to hang out and, you know, get to talk to people and meet new people. Um, but they have all had brand new separate tour buses. And in front of the bus was like a brand new Mercedes black, you know, <laughs> with, with their drivers waiting right there. And like, it was just the most incredible thing. Like to think of a band that like had like no radio airplay and just was selling out arenas, you know, way before they had any kind of like, I don't even know. Are they, do they, do they get played on like active rock at all? I mean, I don't even think, I don't think I've heard a maiden song on the radio really. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I have either. No, to this day. Just right? Dominated and just two sold out nights at Long Beach arena back in the day was just insane. Just having that impression on guys like us. And still being gentlemen, absolute gentlemen. That's killer. Like that's if they can do it, there's no excuse for people to be dickheads to opening bands. Come on. hundred percent. That's crazy. I'm glad to know that. So I have a question for you. I know that that era was rife and just had drugs all over it. So when and if I'm assuming did drugs enter your life that it must have come on. <laughs> Dude, honestly, no. I mean, I think I got a lot of that out of my system. Not, not drugs, but like, I mean, if you consider marijuana a drug um, when not I was, really not, yeah. um, you know, when I was like in junior high, I had smoked pot and just more, it was more about like just getting away from the school, hanging out with friends. We'd get someone to buy us, you know, 12 pack of beer and some, you know, a kid would take some weed from his parents, sneak it out and we'd go and smoke it. And um, once I got like in, started getting in more into music, it was more about drinking. You know, I'd get, we'd get like a bottle of Southern comfort and like Jack Daniels or whatever. And we'd, we'd show up to Hollywood, sit in a parking lot, drink it. Cause it'd be cold as shit sometimes. And, 
And then we just get a buzz on, go pass out flyers. And, um, but that's all it's been, man. Our entire band to this that's, day. That's why you're still here, I guess. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, we never, never dabbled. And, you know, obviously the occasional, you know, cocaine here, maybe I can count on, you know, one hand, probably the times I did that. And just, just because I'm, I don't really have a crazy addictive personality other than music, coffee, and I guess, you know, a little bit the wine thing. I try and I always tell my wife, like, we'll, we'll try and go on these like cleanses together or whatever. Like, Hey, let's just not drink for a little bit. <laughs> and for me, not drinking is, well, that doesn't count. Wine doesn't count yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you know, once you get to like my age and art, whatever, like a glass of wine with your meal at night is actually kind of beneficial. My doctor was like, yeah, that's, that's good. Go for it. And, uh, I drink way too much coffee and then, and that's it. That, and then the wine. Wow, we're pretty similar. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I was curious because I know cocaine was like the ruiner of of dreams back then. So good oh, to dude. hear. Good for you. Yeah, I'm glad we never got hooked on stupid shit. You must have seen so many bands get signed up and become successful in that 10-year period when you're just, you know, not catching a break. And mm-hmm. it's, a, you know, interesting time for music as well because you had so many new subgenres. Like every couple of years, you obviously had grunge and alternative rock. And then there was like punk with Green Day and offspring and then there's like the whole scar thing with especially bands from your area like orange county bands like real big fish and say ferris and goldfinger and all of them then you kind of had the pop punk resurgence which i guess you guys were part of spearheading but when you're kind of just out there for 10 years straight watching maybe your peers take off how did you remain inspired and optimistic and hopeful in that time was it just that relentless drive again or (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy you know we i guess that's we've been lucky we've been um we lost our drummer to brain cancer big al um yeah i always I, i'm such a, i'm so bad with my timeline it's been you know over a decade um but the three of us are still in the band so it was like four original members um it's still the three originals and then we've um gone back and forth having like a fifth member guitar utility guy now we're back to four guys so it's just original guys and then our drummer taylor now who's an amazing drummer just great dude he's a Um, beast he's a beast he's one of the best drummers i've ever played with um but yeah man it's i think it's just that we didn't one we don't really we've had little ventures you know and we're um entrepreneurs we try and like have other side hustles and things but like when it comes down to it it's the only thing we really truly love and we got lucky that we found each other early on and and what are the chances that you're going to meet someone in junior high which our bass player kevin is that's when we met and you're going to still be doing music you know over 30 years later together and not get sidetracked or things in life that come up for us it's been you know we've seen death and divorce and um all kinds of crazy shit and the fact that we're we still get on stage and like love it and we still high five. And I think what you're, you know, when you're asking, like, how do you stay inspired? It's, I mean, if you listen to our records over the years, we've never really, we're usually kind of like not sounding like what we, what, you know, what's going on. And a lot of times that, that can help. And a lot of times it works against you if you don't sound like what's on the radio at the moment. And when we kind of broke through and had some, you know, commercial success in 1999, when we, you know, my arm when that hit radio, the, if you look at, I have like a, um, actually have a billboard chart thing over there like the songs that were like top 10 top 20 and even just an alternative was it was like Limp Bizkit Corn, Eminem just all over the place like My Own Worst Enemy as that song wasn't 
wasn't really like, oh, there's this like sound right now on the radio. And it's like, oh, that, this is that sound. Like, you know, I hear a lot of bands now definitely trying to do like that Fallout Boy, um, Panic at the Disco kind of thing, you know, and that's like, oh, that's a sound that's, that does well. So we're going to kind of like mold our sound after that. That's, I think, when bands maybe burn out because you get yourself sort of pigeonholed and pigeonholed into like this, you know, ACDC did it really well. They pulled it off for many, many years, like this, like, dick. And that's that sound for them is like, you could put on any, any ACDC song and it's going to all sound relatively like, like them and that one thing. But we've always just kind of followed our instincts when it, when we're, you know, when it comes to inspiration back to like this melting pot of every genre, every favorite song, and just going back and listening to that stuff, going back and putting on old records and, you know, even like putting on the metal stuff and, and letting it all just sort of get back in our minds. And when we go to write songs, it's like, I don't know where the hell it came from, but it's, you know, maybe a really heavy riff with a Marshall amp, you know, and then this melody that's kind of maybe has some classic rock feel or whatever. And it just, if we dig it and we just roll with it, you know, and if, if radio is going to pick up on it, cool. If they don't, you know, it's nothing new to us. We've had a lot of songs that didn't get played on the radio and we just want to stoke out. We got to stay pumped up because in order to keep wanting to do this, we get on stage. It's got to be songs we really love. Um, so yeah, man, we get a little self-indulgent at times and, and sometimes we listen back and go, okay, yeah, that was a little bit too self-indulgent. Let's, let's kind of, let's figure out where we want to, you know, where this quote unquote brand or this band that we created that people expect a certain thing from us. Well, let's try and tap into whatever that might be, but you can't force anything. It's gotta, it's gotta feel good. Yeah. I can relate to that completely. And I love that the way you're thinking about it, cause it's, it's self-awareness, but it's also, you want to have fun and still enjoy what you do. And you mentioned, you know, the, the huge, massive single that um, that song was, but you I feel like you still can't really pinpoint a genre on that particular song. You know, it is still a very diverse sounding song. It's just a great song. And that, I mean, you couldn't escape that song. And I, I don't care who you were. I was in like dark, evil, hardcore bands like <laughs> where, people were, where people were bleeding on stage. Like I, that was the genre music I was actively involved with. And I fucking heard that song and i was like this is great this is such a good song uh, it, dude, it, thank it, you. it didn't matter what you were doing i mean we'd play a show like a hardcore show and then you know in the city i lived in providence rhode island there'd be dance parties after and i remember that song came on and you saw the whole entire room bouncing up and down just having a good time that's great and my my next question to follow up everything you just said which i think is beautiful that song hits it becomes as huge as it is you guys go on and do, I mean, insane shit, shit you, you can't even make up working with like Pamela Anderson and like just like weird, crazy rock star yeah. shit. Talk about that time a little bit. And then I really want to know the transition because everybody's career always does a little bit of this, that sure. huge trajectory. And then sort of after that, how did that shape your life? Tell me about, first of all, holy shit, this thing is huge. How did, how did that play with all you guys where you did you just, jump in head first like we're rock stars or are you cautious like how did that work for you man I, I guess a little bit of both like cautious in the in the sense that we you know the song that song was number one and we were still touring in like a winnebago you know crew driving like switching off or you know different i wasn't old enough to drive thank god so i couldn't be i wasn't insured um but there was like you know elements of 
high-fiving, but at the same time, like once it did happen, it felt like it happened. Shit was happening really quick. And um, yeah, in retrospect, I'm, I kind of look back at that time and I like, always like kind of kick myself like, man, you should have slowed down. Like, cause you're, you're always just like, Oh, I want to, so what's going on tomorrow? What's it, what's coming up next week? And, and some of those moments were just so massive thinking back. Like I just, at the time I thought, this is what, okay, we're here. This is where we always wanted to be. Now we're here and let's go. Come on. <laughs> so it didn't feel like it wasn't like, at least I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I never, um, never, ever felt like, Oh, I'm a rock star now. It, like, it just was always like, it started kind of feeling a little weird when like, cause we were on, we were on MTV a lot. And that's when, you know, people didn't have cell phones with TikTok and like social media wasn't even a thing. So kids were literally like, couldn't wait to get home from school so they could put on like MTV TRL. What's the top 10 videos of this week. And so we, because of that started noticing, we'd go to the grocery store or Walmart or wherever the hell we were. And like, people would be like, Hey, are you from that band lit? You know? And so that started feeling like, Oh shit wow, people like kind of recognize us from like, oh, okay, that's pretty dope. Um, but it never like, it never became a thing where it's like, oh, okay, cool. Now leave me alone, you know, or like, we're too cool now. But, um, but I think um, life-changing for sure. Um, it was nice to, although we were on the road, once that song hit radio, RCA Records and our agent had us on the road for about two years nonstop. So we went from li like living with our parents to, you know, we'd have a maybe like a three or four days off here and there. So we'd go home, we'd, we'd see friends and stuff. And like, it got really weird for a minute. Like we'd run into certain friends that were like, it's a, like almost like this attitude, like you guys are too cool or what now? And like, no, what do you mean? We, we just got home. What do you mean? What are you talking about? So we go to these bars we used to go to and a lot of like our super close friends, Everything was all good, but definitely ran into a lot of weird. It was super weird, man. It's almost like what they expected you to be after going through that. Or like some of it was maybe jealousy. I don't know what it was. Some other bands that were local bands that were, you know, a little bit of like resentment. And that was a hard, that was like one of the hardest things to like, like witness. Um, but then coming out of that, it was just like, all right, now we can uh, move out of our parents' house and buy something. Like I remember buying a condo. And it was like, and then leaving. How old are you then when you're buying your first house? Like mid twenties. Amazing. But it was just like that, that felt good. But at the same time, I was like, well, when do I get to live in it? You know? So I was like, <laughs> sure around and leave. I remember I had a vintage Cadillac that was my everyday driver. I loved it. It was my car. And I noticed after I got back from the first long run and I didn't have a, like a safe place to park it, dude, it was like the sun was starting to like fuck up the paint and like little things were going wrong with them. It's like, man. And I remember I was like, okay, well, I don't have time to like sell this thing and take care of it. So I was like, I donated it to this charity that was like, uh, you know, donate your car to whatever. And it's going to do some good. And I'm like, all right, I don't want, I can't just watch it just deteriorate and fall apart. So I had no car, had a house and just, you know, and then we were just on the road. We just kept it. That's all we wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to be home kind of a homebody, but at the same time, like, dreams were coming true. So that was pretty, you know, started to get shows with these bands that I looked up to and worshiped, you know, touring with the offspring and no doubt and all these bands and warp tour and these big festivals like Woodstock got to do that. And it was just, we just, you know, I think it was just a very sentimental time more than anything. 
And I don't know, man, we still get to do a lot of that shit. It just blows my mind. Brings back some memories for me when, you know, we were pre pandemic for a good eight or nine years touring nonstop, like, and how that is, it's like what you always wanted to do, but you know, I remember getting emotional thinking to myself, man, I just want to sit still for like a month, month and a half and like watch the seasons change. Like little things that you, you, you sort of just start to miss and you start to feel lonely and you can't really vent that to any like quote unquote normal person who doesn't know what it's like sure. to tour like that. But that that can be a really sad mixed bag of like you have all this success, you're doing well, you're paying your bills, you're buying things, but you have no time to sit and just be in that world that you're creating it's a very interesting place to find yourself in uh, and mentally it can take a toll did you find that you guys at any point were starting to feel a little depressed from that i mean or are you just riding high off the feeling regardless i mean i, I think um for me during that phase i'd say after about six months in um because i've always been a real like mm, I, I wouldn't know if i would say introvert kind of i've always been pretty shy and like sort of a, to myself. And for me, that's what music did for me was like getting on stage. And I was like, anyone that knew me on a personal level, when they come to the, sh- the shows, they're like, dude, who the fuck was that? You know, like I'm a different person on stage. And that was like, for me, where I become an extrovert, where I become who I think I want to be, you know what I mean? But then off stage, I was just, I always just go back to who I am. Um, but I, I noticed that just on the short run that we did together, you know, you're a very, as you say, kind of just quiet, unassuming, chill guy. And then this super charismatic frontman comes out when you take to the stage. It's quite a cool metamorphosis to witness. I love that. I mean, I just, I love the feeling. Thank you, man. I just, but yeah, to be able to just let that happen, let that be a time to switch on and then switch off. And when you're on the road, you don't get a lot of time to switch off. So even though I'm like, okay, I finished a show that was a great, I felt great go to the bus, but then it's like, I, not that like, you know, I was sort of expected to stay on and, and I get it. Cause like you want to do meet and greets and you're, you know, mingling with fans and stuff, which we, I love that. But, but at the same time, I had a lot of anxiety. Cause I'm like, man, I got this, I got to go do the um, Jay Leno show in two nights, whatever. I got to wake up in the morning and do the morning show. All this stuff. Like, I'm going to go, you guys go do it. What, what are you going to do? I'm going to go back in the back lounge and just chill. And so I think a lot of people thought, and during that, that time, like, what's up with the, your singer? He's like, got an attitude. Like, what's it? And I think people, you know what I mean? It's a hard balance to find. Like, I want to be social. Don't think I don't want to be out there hanging out with the fans. That's my favorite thing to do. But it's like, sometimes I got to, I had to draw a line. Like, okay, I got to take care of my voice. Got to take care of my mental state. And I'm just going to chill. I'm going to like go in the back. I'm going to call my, you know, girlfriend, wife. I think at the time I might've been married. I don't remember. Um, no, I was single, but I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to just unwind. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I needed to, and I think that's, what's kept, kept my sanity going throughout the process. But, you know, anxiety has always been a big thing still is it's my worst enemy, dude. It's like literally like, just let me write songs and go perform them on stage. Don't give me these weird, you know, late night TV experiences where, and I know they did so much good back, you know, looking back in the day, we do. You know, Jay Leno show, and then that's when record sales were a thing and CDs were being bought. And it's like, oh, you just, you're, you just did like five times your weekly numbers of sales. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's cool. Um, but I would just get so worked up and I would just like, didn't want to do it, hated it. My heart rate would just, my, 
would just go through the roof and I'd get on these, these shows and I'd be like, AC would be set at like 55 or whatever in the studios and all these bright lights. And it's like, that's not a, that's not an audience. Like, what is this? It, it just, it's, it goes with, and I sound like an idiot complaining about it, but like when you no, were not, built, not to me, you know, <laughs> yeah, when you're built in a garage, like I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you relate to this stuff. Like, you know, when you're first starting your band, you're like, you're just trying to get a gig. And those gigs were usually sweaty clubs. And, and then that grew but at the end of the day, it's like a bunch of music fans in the audience and this connection and this energy that this exchange of energy. And you don't have that when you're doing TV, you don't have it when you're doing, you know, a morning show as important as it is. And I grew up on the radio, but when I'm sitting there and I'm not watching my dad spin records and I'm like, you know, doing Q and a and having to do an acoustic song at freaking seven in the morning, you're like, man, F this. <laughs> yeah. That morning radio stuff is, I, I nobody, I likes no one likes doing it never no. sounds amazing i did it with my band times of grace for a little while and i sounded horrible i was hung over and it's it just it didn't do good and i never i was like never again i never want to do this shit ever again yeah it's rough <laughs> yeah, anxiety is something i battle constantly and i used to just drink it away um a lot and you know i've replaced it with meditation and exercise because I, I for longevity it works I had, but but i can totally relate to that man so the success hits, you guys touring like crazy. When does it start to slow down for you guys? When does it start to slow down for you where you notice that it's different, that your touring's different, your audience is different? When does that start to happen? I mean, I think, you know, I, I mentioned being on tour for two years straight. And I think, you know, looking back, probably should have pulled off the road, made a new record, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're not one of those bands that writes on the road. We like, we have to get in a zone. We have to be, you know, we have to have new inspiration and we're either in writing mode or we're in touring mode. We're not, and I envy the bands that can be in both. <laughs> um, but we, we literally have to shift. And I think, you know, when we put out our atomic record, it was a weird combination of a little bit of that, a little bit of like, you know, waited too long somewhat. And then, um, but we just kept getting offered these like crazy tours that we couldn't pass up. We're like, Oh, that sounds amazing. All right. We're gonna do that one. Um, and then, and then, uh, when we went to release the second record, literally we fly to New York, uh, we're in New York city partying for my brother's uh, birthday on nine 11. We're, you know, in New York city till like 3am, whatever it was. And then we we're staying in Jersey right over the bridge. And we were supposed to start the tour the next day to kick off our atomic record. And we wake up to the, the twin tower, um, nine 11 thing. And it was just, we're just like, well, this, this is like, we wouldn't, we couldn't even think about the music. Like, of course you, you can't think about anything, but our country's under attack. What's going to happen next. This is insane. Like I thought we were like untouchable and like safe here. Um, so that record needless to say that cycle was put to a stop before the tour cycle started. And, um, so that was a really strange time, just a strange time to be, you know, just American and just, um, couldn't call our you know family back home. Like, I just remember just being super scared. Um, and then, so we just, we shifted into from the music mode into just like human humanity mode and went on to like, we are, we were already there and we couldn't get home. So we went to these venues where we we're going to play shows and we're like, no disrespect. We're going to want to be here. We're going to probably play a few songs. 
if you guys just want to come out and just talk and, you know, hang out, that's what we're going to do. So we played in DC, like nine twelve, and there were probably a couple hundred like fans that came out. Um, some of them had family that were, you know, either in the building or firefighters. And we just hung around, we played a couple songs and then went in the crowd and we just hung out and talked. And it was kind of a depressing time, but at the same time, it was like, we wanted to talk to people too, because we were away from our family. So we just kind of bonded with some fans and did that thing. And then, you know, after that, so it took some time and started playing shows again. And, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's just a constant, as you know, this, this industry, you're always, you know, you're, you're real lucky and fortunate to, you know, strike, catch lightning in a bottle or whatever, and, you know, catch this wave in and it feels great. And you're hang 10 and do whatever. And then you got to paddle back out, you know, every time. And sometimes you catch a big wave. Sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you're riding a boogie board back in. It doesn't, it, to, to us, it doesn't, it matters. Yeah. Cause you want to keep doing this for a living and you want to make sure, you know, you're, you know, putting food on the table and you're making money. But at the same time, as long as you, you know, for us, thank God, I think for the success of a place in the sun, that record, and um, it allowed us more time to keep paddling out. And, you know, we've had a lot of our fan base, I feel like is super awesome. And they've, you know, they've, they always unconditional support and let us, like I was talking about self-indulgent, you know, and going off and making a record that for us, my brother and I, you know, we love country music too. And like, we made a record that we didn't think was going to be a lit record, but we decided like for selfish reasons, we wanted to record those songs that we loved. And so we put out this record that should have been pop off brothers or something, but we called it, it was another lit record. And you know, a lot of fans were down and they loved it and it was cool, but it was distracting for people. It, it confused a lot of people. We had to, you know, I got tired of trying to explain why, you know, why did you, what's up? what's a country band? Like, what is this? And a lot of people that were kind of weirded out by it. I'm like, you know what? Shit. I understand, <laughs> you know, even though we're going to change our sound here and there and records kind of, you know, you, you allow yourself room to change, but that was a little bit distracting. So that's one of the reasons this new record, we intentionally, like my brother and I had a conversation about it, like, you know what, we need to just put our heads back where we were and like, back in the day and like where do we like what got us fired up what got our fans fired up and let's let's see what that sounds like and and it took a minute and then all of a sudden just like the floodgates reopened and you know tastes like gold came out of it and um and we we honestly feel like it's one of our if not it's my favorite record that we've done and i think part of it's because it's new but another part of it is it's it's this rediscovery that i didn't think we were going to find and when we did it was that and so much more. It's like sort of like this 1999, early 2000s meets, you know, 2024 for us, where I see us going and it's exciting again. That's, you know, at the end of the day, whether, however you gauge success is tough. So I think if your mind is like clear and you're motivated and you're excited, then that success has got to be, you know what I mean? Cause you can't control anything else. Well spoken, dude. And I have to agree with you after a couple listens to that record. It it feels different and it feels yeah, I don't know, I, I put a word to, it, but there's a different energy to it. And you just describe it like that. That's perfect. Uh, you know, sounds like you guys are like true artists. That's it's refreshing to hear that. And interesting to hear that that journey that you've been on. And I can relate to some of it. I mean, I've never really done the, the TV show thing being in a in a metal band. I mean, but uh 
yeah fascinating stuff man and definitely pulling on my heartstrings a little bit too because i can relate i love it man yeah congratulations yeah. again that thanks dude for where you are mentally where you guys are as a band too and uh putting out a great record thanks brother that means a lot man and it sounds like it's, it's awesome talking to you too because like you know like i said i'm a metalhead too like i grew up on metal so i love you guys and um sounds like you've been through a lot of the same shit so it's fucking it's cool yeah more than more than people know <laughs> yeah, yeah been, right it's been an interesting road for sure but uh yeah i regret nothing either i really don't have you and jeremy always remained close throughout dude because it seems to me like the bond you share although you're so different as characters from the little that i got to gauge from being around you on tour there seems to be not not only a tight bond there but a healthy one as well there's some brothers who are close but they you know there's friction there and they fight a lot you know you look at the gallagher's yeah. or the robinson brothers and the black crows or you know the davis brothers and the kings there's loads of examples of that throughout time you guys seem to just genuinely like love each other and get along despite the fact that you might have different personalities you're in this thing together has that always yeah. been the case throughout all the highs all the lows all the I mean, twists yeah, all the turns for, for the most part yeah i mean we're we're the only two siblings you know, we grew up very close, just love the same music. I mean, the, a lot of times siblings kind of get into the same stuff, but there's also times where they go like, you know, hip hop, metal, and like they're in different worlds. But we, you know, it's just, it's crazy just the way it all aligned where we just love the same bands, wanted to both do this for a living. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, we're, we are, we're, we're complete. We couldn't be more different, honestly, as people we're like it's like good cop bad cop kind of kind of scenario a lot of the time and um you know we're both very creative so it's it's um i think early on he and i like we, we wrote all the songs together <clears throat> and it, we, we did get to a point where because we're brothers and because like he's two years older and it was always like a little bit of like older brother younger brother thing we'd be writing they'd be like dude that's lame dude whatever i'd be like go fuck yourself that's fucking awesome you know and it'd just be like so there, we got to this point where I think when the writing process got a little bit more intimate, because, you know, early on, it was like in a band warehouse, you know, amps cranked up and it would just be like, we'd just be jamming out, you know, I'd get on the mic and just sing melodies before I had lyrics and then hone in on lyrics later. And, um, but yeah, once we got to like a different point in writing, we needed to bring in like a mediator. So we, that's when we started like collaborating and bringing in like at least a third writer to be like, Hey man, that's lame. Not like, no, that's actually really cool. You know, like, let's do this. And like, it's, so it was always nice to have like that, um, the third person to sort of, you know, validate one or the other's idea. Um, and, but I mean, over the years being, because we're so different, I think that has caused like, we're super close. Like you're right. Like the, the chemistry we have and the love for each other is like, is huge. Um, but we do, we fight, dude, there's days, there's weeks where you would think we were the fucking Gallagher brothers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, you, if you ask our road crew, they'd just be like, oh shit, man, the pop-off. And I like, sometimes that for a while they were like, they started calling us like the pop-off sisters. Like, cause we just <laughs> fight like little bitches or what, you know what I mean? But like at the end of the day, you'll see, you know, we'll all fight like that. You know, I think when you know someone, as long as you have, um, siblings or just friends that are that close we can have it out like full on like meltdown fights and then you know give it a day or like we don't even have to say a word it's like we we meet back in the lobby 
cup of coffee. Like, Hey dude, did you see this thing? Da, da, da. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's normal again. And I think maybe it's just the immaturity of a musician or <laughs> an artist, but we, we don't know how to be ADD. Maybe we don't know how to hold on to grudge really. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can relate the the brotherhood thing. You know, I think with my band, we're a little more passive aggressive, but you know, I've known those dudes forever. You know, Adam and I have known each other since I was 22, you know, and we've experienced so much of life together and, and we couldn't be more different as well. We do have similarities and similar tastes, but yeah, the personality is definitely there. But I love how you said you brought in a third person, you know, like it's almost like family therapy, you know, with, with your music. But it's good. It's good to have another set of ears, you know, to help steer that ship, you know, uh, finding somebody who's a producer or a friend to come in and help out. Uh, that's great, man. It's good anyway. And we, that's kind of how really we sort of discovered, you know, the magic and the beauty and collaborating. And now we just, that's all only thing we do. Mm. Like we don't even, even though the idea came up like, Hey, what if we just like rent out like a warehouse, like we used to do and plug in and just see what comes out that way. We never got around to doing it. I thought that would have been cool. Uh, maybe next time, but, but I think bringing in different, you know, perspectives is always cool. Yeah, I'm getting ready to do that plug-in in a, in a practice space thing for the first time in like 20 years coming up in August. So we'll see what happens. To, like for writing? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome, yeah, we'll man. See. We'll see. I haven't done it that way in a long time, but I'm looking yeah, forward to it. We'll see what happens. It might suck. It might not. I don't know. It could be fun though. I mean, yeah, you're going to come up with at least some starts that you wouldn't have, I think. Right. Yeah, we'll see. Did your parents get to, you know, see all your success and, and are they proud of you? Yeah, man, they're, um, and I'm, I'm actually really happy too that our grandparents got to be, you know, they were still alive when Amazing. our record went, went platinum and they got to come to, you know, even this like show in Orange County, um, Irvine, like the Bren Center and our, our family, everyone came down and that's when the label presented us with, um, I get, it's funny. Cause like that, that record, it, it went gold and we're like, Oh dude, that's badass. We're gonna get a gold record. And, uh, but by the time the rec, the gold record was done being like manufactured or whatever, then it, gone, it went <laughs> platinum. So they, our label came down they had a, our gold record and our platinum record and they presented it to us on stage and our grandparents were there. So we got a picture with them and Sick. you know, they were a big part of like why we did music too. So, and our parents were always rooting us on man from going to all of our, you know, a lot of our Hollywood shows as kids and just letting us do after parties at the house. Like just, you know, they were those, those parents I might've been, you know, at times maybe a little too, too cool <laughs> with us, like letting us do the stuff we did. But I, I think they helped shape us, you know, definitely hundred percent. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's awesome, man. Very supportive. That's a cool story about the gold and the platinum together. That How cool is that? Wow. It was, just, it was thanks for that. Yeah, it was cool an incredible point. night. We love to have that. to be able to share that with your family like that. That's amazing. Yeah, those are the two behind me right now. There they oh, are. Really? Oh, we got that. So Dude, if you're, not, if you're not watching, you're missing out, guys. Right. <laughs> As we approach the end, AJ, I would love for you if you don't mind to share a couple of stories with us. Um, you know, you're talking about loving metal and you know getting to meet and and kind of have experiences with some of your heroes, D. Snyder um yeah. what's the video is it ziplock he's in at the start and he's yes. pa he's parodying the we're not going to take it twisted sister music video like as an 80s metal fan you know and, and that being the soundtrack to your childhood 
then getting the chance. I mean, how, first of all, do you pitch the idea today? How do you get him on board? Do we, um, yeah, it's crazy. I remember going and, you know, seeing Twisted Sister many times in, in arenas and stuff. And um, anytime, like once, you know, we were sort of off to the races, I guess, if you would call it that, when uh, songs all over the radio and empties and we're touring, D. Snyder started like anytime we were in um, Long Island, uh, he would show up. He started coming to the shows and he would like, he'd come there like during, like right after sound check and take us out to lunch. And so we started hanging out with freaking D. Snyder. We started like, we call him Uncle D because we were just like, he was just such a cool dude. And we just, anytime we were there, he was coming out. And um, yeah, dude, this like, we were just such a huge fans and such 80s like MTV kids that those videos were iconic and they were like staples in our childhood. So we're like, man, how insane would it be to get to reenact that video and have D play the dad. And like, um, he was super down. He's just, he loves that kind of stuff, like being a ham and just over the top. So yeah, just being there to watch watching, uh, him shoot those scenes was just iconic, man. It was just like one of those moments you just never forget. Like he's like, yeah, dude. And he, um, we ended up doing his, uh, tribute record where I did, uh, I want to rock. And I sang the first verse. He did the second verse and we did that thing together. And just so weird, man, how full circle some of the stuff comes around and like it's magic, man. Just, you just, you never think as a kid, like one, one being able to have your song on the radio or being playing some of these cool stages, but like you're going to be hanging out in a studio or like with these guys that you were just watching from the nosebleeds. <laughs> It's incredible. Well, talking about hanging out in studios with guys you were watching from the nosebleeds, Steven Tyler, this isn't like a well-known story, is it? Because he apparently couldn't yeah. say at the time because of his record contracts that he's on your album. But right over my head, Steven Tyler, what happens there? Yeah. So like, you I mean, talk about not having a lot of time off when you're just touring, touring, touring. And we, um, we had the song um, that we were doing for, it was for a soundtrack for the Titan AE which is like an animated movie um, soundtrack. And we needed everything. The music was all done and we needed to cut the vocal. So we had a day off in Boston and um, Glenn Ballard was producing it. Massive killer producer. Um, and so we went to this like little tiny, like bungalow of a studio and we were waiting for Glenn to show up to cut vocals. And he was like running super, super late. So we're like, oh man this kind of sucks. It's like our only day off. We're not going to have any time to do shit. Uh, so sure enough, he shows up late. He walks through the door and he's got Tyler, Steven Tyler with him. And in this little tiny studio, we're just like, dude, that apparently they were, I don't know if they were writing what they were doing. So they come in and like, now it's like getting close to dinner time. So we're like, Oh man, let's, you guys hungry. Yeah. We're going to order some food. So we order food and we're sitting at this dining table with Glenn Ballard and Steven Tyler and eating dinner. Just, just full like starstruck. Cause like at this stage, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't care what level of success you have, like a legend, like Steven Tyler, you know, in the same room is just, I couldn't help but be a little bit like, Holy shit. Um, and I idolized the dude. So he got, he got up to go to the bathroom and I asked, you know, Glenn Ballard, I go, dude, would it be weird if we asked him to sing like harmonies or something on the song? And he goes, man, he just doesn't hurt to ask. I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure it wasn't like disrespectful. And he's like, no, no, man, he's a good dude. He's all good. But he comes back and, and it took me a while to get my nerve up. And I'm like, Hey, Steven. Yeah, man. I'm like, do you feel like singing tonight? And he's like, well, 
what do you want me to sing? I'm like, dude, dude I go, it'd be an honor if you'd sing like a, har a harmony on the song we're going to cut. And he goes, well, let's go, let's go take a listen. So I remember going over to this like little ghetto blaster and we had the instrumental and we're listening to it. And, uh, and he's like, you could tell he's like, he's thinking about it. And he's like starting to like sing little bits and pieces of it. He's like, oh man, hell yeah, let's do it. So dude, it was just like, talk about like surreal, man. We go, we go back straight into the control room and his engineer that was actually his engineer showed up too. And he's cut like all his vocals and stuff, like most of his vocals. So he goes and sets up like four different microphones. I think it was, I was like, what the fuck? And, uh, he goes in there and he's like hacking up alone. Just like, you know, he's not warming up. He's just like coughing and spitting loogies. And, <laughs> and then dude, sure enough, like he just starts like fucking wailing this high harmony. And then I'm like, man, I got to go in there and get a picture with him. Like I have a picture of he and I like around the microphone. Like I'm trying to make open my mouth big. Like he doesn't, <laughs> but dude, he's like, he sang his, he sang a couple passes and then he goes in the control room. We're listening back and he looks over at me. He's like, man, our, listen how good our voices sound together and i just remember just going like man yep that's fucking amazing so that's like that's a moment that like stands out it's it's like it was yesterday and it's like one of the best moments of my life and he's like he's like this only thing was like i he didn't have permission from warner to sing on a different label it's like a capital release <clears throat> he's like you just can't just you can't put my name on it unless i get clearance and we never ended up getting a clearance so he's just you can hear it though. It's a song called Over My Head. Um, and yeah, you can hear that, especially towards the end. You hear him do his high, like high, high harmony. It's dope. Sick. That's awesome. What a great story. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was such a against magic, dude. It's like, how does that even come together? But it's just one of those I, things you just never know. I feel like between that and D Snyder, that is definitely a mic drop. Uh, this has been incredible. And I before we let you go, I, I just want to say to um Big props to D. Snyder. I think he's one of the best front men in rock and roll. Oh, I got to see uh, Twisted Sister on their 40 years and fuck it. I think it was called tour and they were incredible. <laughs> still incredible. Like, I know. Still make his voice gets better. I think it's crazy. Better. Like, how? So I know. Good. But uh, yeah, dude, it was such a pleasure, man. Great stories. Uh, definitely Thanks, look man. forward to someday crossing paths out there in the in the touring world, maybe at a festival in Europe or something. Who knows? Yeah, that would be killer. Yeah, Kill Switch Engage is, is uh, definitely one of those bands, like, especially like the Holy Diver cover is just oh, so, yeah. like, I'm like, this might, and like, I was a huge Dio fan, but like, that that version might actually trump the Dio version. I like, I, so yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a fan. Sick, right on, brother. It's a pleasure, man. Paths. Likewise, dude. Coming out onto the show, brother. Hell yeah. Yeah, we got to come out to Nashville sometime, man. That's what we'll do. Please, please do. I got, I got room. Like, just come stay with me and we'll just go tear it up. Once we, down, once we figure out our road trip situation here in the States. Yeah. Maybe Nashville's on the, on the map for that. Stoke the fire Dude. live in Nashville. For sure. Just Jesse, where do you live? What, what, what part of the country? You I'm in Woodstock, New York. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Up in the Catskills. I love it up here. It's great. It's like a retirement home for rock stars. It's great. Yeah. It's, be <laughs> it's beautiful over there, man. Yeah. I love it. Dig it. Good to see your face again, my friend. Thanks for taking yeah. the time. Thanks for coming on the show. And um, yeah, man, Likewise, big man. love. Look forward to seeing you again in person. Hopefully not, you, too, not too long. I know, man. I miss you. Cheers, AJ. Have a Cheers, great day, guys. man. You too. See you, Talk fellas. Soon. Thank you, guys.